Shalom, brothers and sisters, and welcome to the Mormon Kabbalah Podcast. We're on chapter 18 of the Book of Remembrance, and today we're going to go over Eve's prayer. We're not going to cover the whole chapter today. When I received this revelation, it, it moved me nearly to tears. I felt the pain that Eve felt, and I felt her comfort as well. And I'm sharing this with you because I want you to understand that when you receive a revelation, it isn't always just words. Sometimes it's feelings. So as we read through this, as we study this together, I would ask that you listen to your feelings and see what the Lord is telling you about the first part of this chapter. So starting in verse 1, it says, It came to pass that Adam was a humble man, and so too was his wife Eve. And it came to pass that Adam was a humble man, and so too was his wife Eve, bowing down and rising up before the Lord, making clear the reverence of God. So when it says that they're humble, I believe that this means that they submitted to the Lord. They didn't seek more, after being kicked out of the garden, they didn't seek more than what the Lord thought they were ready to receive. And this, again, represents our desires. Our desires should be humble. They should not look for what we want as people, but what the Lord wants for us. When we pray, God isn't a genie waiting for us to make a wish. God is a friend. God is a parent. God is listening to us, to our needs And we need to listen to God when we pray. We need to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit to help us know what to pray. For those that participate in, watch the fellowship Sabbath services, you'll notice that when I pray, there's times when I pause. I'm not pausing to think about what to say, but to feel out what the Lord wants me to say. I try to open my mouth and speak the words the Lord has for me and that the Lord is placing on my heart. Which leads us to the second verse. And behold, they served God with love written in the heart, yea, and with great reverence and devotion and prayer in their hearts. So with that love written in their hearts, they're focusing not on their own selfish wants or desires, their pride, their egoism. They're looking at the creation and they're listening to the Lord with great reverence and devotion. And I, growing up, I was always told, you know, not to read pre-written prayers, but at the same time, you know, you have to have a prayer in your heart. So I just thought, okay, well, when we talk to God, it's got to be a real conversation. You have to say these words that you're thinking, that you're feeling, that, that you want to say at that moment, like you're talking to somebody else. And I definitely don't think that's wrong. At the same time, I think that there's more to it. I think we can have a prayer in our hearts at all time by looking at the world in a Christ-like, altruistic manner by seeking to have a constant companion, a friend in the Holy Spirit, and not just when we're trying to pray. If that love is written in our hearts, if we've truly been born again, then that prayer is constantly in our hearts as well. What we need to do as we grow in grace is grow that prayer. And in doing so, what we're really doing is growing our relationship with the Holy Spirit, which is growing our relationship with God in general. And it came to pass that the Lord saw them keeping the commandments and offering sacrifices to the Lord in reverence. Now, I want to point out here that when it says offering sacrifices, it's easy just to assume this means animal sacrifices. But I want to say that this, in my mind, means sacrificing their time, their talents, the food and resources they have for the betterment of others and the creation itself. 
I think that there is a definite point and a need for the rituals, but I think that the rituals become irrelevant if our actions outside of worship don't reflect the rituals. Verse 4, And he too, God, saw them rejoice in supplication, serving their Creator. And they taught their children too that they should serve the Lord. So they're, they're happy to do this. This isn't something that they're doing to check off a list. Okay, got that done. Okay, got that done. Okay, got that done. This is who they truly are. They are being their true selves. And in doing so, they're teaching their children by their example, by the lives they live, and by the lessons that they're teaching their kids as they instruct them on what to do and how to live their lives. Remember, when we're raising kids, we can tell them all the time, do this, don't do that. But they see what we do, and they will mimic it. Back when I was in high school, I had a friend who smoked, and his grandfather did not want him smoking. Every time he would catch him, he'd be like, oh, this is wrong. You got to throw stuff away. Where's my cigarettes? And he would start smoking out of the stress of his child smoking. And his grandson would just say, my friend would just say, he's such a hypocrite. He doesn't want me to smoke. But there he is smoking. And I told him, I said, you do realize the reason why he doesn't want you to smoke is because he smokes. He wants to stop, but he can't. And he doesn't want you to pick up his bad habit. And my friend said, well, it's too late for that. We as parents can never be perfect. If we don't want our children to do something, if we do want our children to do something, we should strive to do our best to set that example because the example is the best lesson that we can offer them. Verse 6, And their hearts rejoiced to petition the Lord. And Elohim saw this and blessed them with sons and daughters, one of which was Abel and the other Cain. So again, their hearts are glad. They love to come to the Lord. The Lord is their friend. And the Lord has blessed them with sons and daughters. Now, it's my understanding that Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's first children, their first offspring, and that they were twins. I'm not saying that it's written in stone, and we also need to keep in mind that here, Cain and Abel are our desires. So we have Adam and Eve who are like, you know, they're converted, they've, they've entered the ministry, they want to be good people, and now these new desires are being born. And for those of us that are familiar with the story of Cain and Abel, we know that this is where our desires divide. We have our good desires and we have our egoistic desires. And we know that the Cain, that, that desire inside of ourselves, doesn't repent. We always suffer that temptation. By the way, I will quickly add that in Jewish Kabbalah, the idea is that our desires are reincarnated as they, as they die, and that Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, is the reincarnation of Cain. And so through Jethro, our desire that is Cain is able to repent. And so I don't want you to think that there's evil inside of us. Evil is never going to go away. God can't truly purge evil. It's nothing like that. Looking at this from a Kabbalistic perspective, we will always be tempted. But because of Christ, we can always overcome. Verse 8, And the Lord saw too the suffering and torment of Adam and Eve as Cain fell away from the light he had once received. So we have a new desire, Cain. This desire is coming from the light because it's coming, it's being birthed through the desires to bestow and the will to receive that are Adam and Eve inside of us. But for whatever reason, Cain is selfish. Cain is egotistical. And knowing that there's this part of us that isn't there yet. Yes, that part of us is still saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. But Satan tries to use the egoism that remains inside of us to get us to move away from Christ. And there are times when, when we do, when we give in to temptation. 
Cain represents the idea that we know better than God, that we deserve that which someone else has been given, that when we do these rituals, just doing them is enough. Our intent doesn't matter. That's the Cain inside of us. And the Cain inside of us wants to murder the Abel inside of us because he doesn't want that goodness of God. He wants that light eliminated so that he can be alone in the darkness. Verse 9, And it came to pass that Abel knew the reverence of Elohim, but Cain did not. And Cain slew Abel to get gain, and he was judged and delivered unto retribution. And the Lord was angered by the sins of man. So let's break this down. If you know the story of Cain and Abel, Cain goes into a field, slays Abel, and the Lord approaches him and says, where's, where's your brother at? And Cain says the very famous line, am I my brother's keeper? And while God doesn't directly answer that question, I would argue that the entire life of Jesus Christ is the answer to Cain's question. The answer is yes. Yes, we are our brothers and our sisters keepers. Yes, it is our duty, our charge to love all of the creation, to love and care for all of our neighbors. This is that spirit of Ubuntu that the fellowship talks about. Ubuntu is an African word that basically means I am who I am because of who we are. There's a story, I'm going to paraphrase it. Basically, the idea is that someone from the West goes to Africa and says, here's a basket full of goodies, full of treats and candies. I'm going to sit over here by this tree and you guys race. Whoever gets there first gets the candy. And when he said go, all of the children locked hands and walked to the tree together. And when this person asked the children, why did you do this? You didn't have to share. The winner could have had it all. The response the children gave was, Ubuntu. What joy is there to take only for oneself when we could share with each other and all be happy? What could be more Christian than this idea? It's Cain's idea that we need to race to the tree and take it all for ourselves. Abel, Adam and Eve, Moses, Jesus, all of these teach us that the true gospel of Jesus Christ is that spirit of Ubuntu where we're caring for one another. Now imagine you're Adam and Eve, and not only is one of your sons dead, but he was killed, he was murdered by his own brother. And if they really were twins, that means they knew each other from birth. They never knew a time without each other. And now Cain has to go the rest of his life alone. He has to leave Adam and Eve, his parents, and his family. It doesn't matter how much we love God. This has to hurt. Adam and Eve didn't just lose Abel here. They also lost their son Cain. And if you're a parent, you know that they love both of their sons very, very much. Now, when I received this revelation, I think I've told you before that sometimes when I receive revelations, it's words coming to my mind. Sometimes it's words flowing through me. Sometimes it's a picture I have to describe. When I received this part of the revelation, I saw Eve walking into this temple of the Lord. Very, very simple temple, nothing elaborate. I saw her go to the altar. I saw her drop to her knees. She didn't get down on her knees. She fell to her knees. I saw her struggle. I saw and I felt her pain and I heard her prayer. Now, obviously, she wasn't speaking English if we want to believe that this literally happened. But in the vision that I received, the words that she spoke were in English. And I don't know if she had an accent or if she was just struggling so hard to speak 
But either way, in the revelation I received, this is what she said. Pele El. I get the impression that every time Adam and Eve pray, they begin with Pele El. Oh God, hear the words of my mouth. And in case you're wondering, yes, she did put her hands up in the air. And she pulled them down as she spoke. Pele El. And then with her hands grasping each other, pulled into her chest, she said, My words are difficult to speak, Elohim. I revere you and speak with great difficulty, for my heart is full. Yet I shall not fall, but have journeyed to the temple and revere you at the altar, lest I too be punished. I want to pause here and discuss this a little bit. She's struggling. She's telling God she's struggling. She still loves God through her pain, but she's hurting so much that it's difficult to pray. Have you ever been in a situation like that? I have. There's been times when I'm so emotional, I'm so sad or so angry or so hurt, even so bitter. I just want to walk away from everything. And when I look back now at the things that cause those emotions in me in comparison to what Eve is going through, my struggles were nothing. Eve represents her will to receive. She's taking in, she's receiving all of this pain. She doesn't want it. But she's determined not to fall. She fell in Eden. Imagine living in the presence of God and then falling from that, being asked to leave the garden and once out there, not only till the earth to make bread, not only to live in absence, live without the presence of God directly there with you, like it was in the garden, but now also to be a missionary, to be an evangelist, to share the gospels of the people and help other people who've never had that experience come to Christ. Now keep in mind that this is referring to our desires. The even side of us was sent out to help convert our egotistical desires. Two of them, one is dead, a righteous one is dead, and the other one has fallen to egoism. Now this even side of us is saying, she doesn't want to fall. And she says, least I too be punished. Is she taking some of the blame as a parent for not raising her child correctly? I don't know. She was kicked out of Eden and now her son has died and her other son has had to leave. She's lost so much. She doesn't want to lose anymore. She went by herself. Is she afraid of losing her husband? Is she afraid of losing the Holy Ghost, the connection she has with God now? Is she afraid of losing more children? Is she afraid of all of that? I don't know. But she's lost so much that she is definitely afraid right now, and she is hurting. In verse 15, she continues and says, Elohim, O Lord my God, judge me by my reverence and forsake me not, for now I know good from evil, and I feel as though I too have had my blood spilt, even my heart breaking and broken, spilling blood upon the earth. Her children are gone. Whether you want to take that literally as a mother losing her kids, or symbolically as our desires. This desire inside of us has been corrupted, and now we, we realize as hard as we're trying to be good, we can't do it on our own. As Jacob says in the Book of Mormon, 3.8-R-A-V, 4.7-O-P-V, The Lord God showeth us our weaknesses, that we may know it is by His grace and His great condescensions unto the children of men that we have the power to do these things. She's coming to God. She's coming to Christ because that's the only way through this. And she hurts so bad, she feels as if she has been stabbed herself. She is literally coming to God right now with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. But not for herself. 
perhaps a little bit for herself, but she's hurting for her children. Have you ever felt that pain to where you're hurting for someone else? You have such empathy that you see the struggles someone else is going through and you're hurting with them. You're hurting for them. I believe that the reason why Jesus was able to suffer on the cross wasn't just because he's God. I believe it's also because he loves us so much that he was already suffering in Gethsemane from the empathy of knowing our pain. I believe that empathy is one of the most Christ-like emotions that we can feel because empathy is a form of love. It drives us to action. It drives us to serve the Lord by serving others because we want the grace to help others as Christ has helped us. Verse 17, But still I revere thee, O God, speaking only the very word I fear is devouring or consuming my devoted heart. So basically, don't judge me. I'm hurting really bad here. I need to unload to you. I need you to hear my pain. I genuinely believe that that is part of the atonement of Jesus Christ, for us to come to Christ, to go to God and tell him how we're hurting so he can heal us. It's not just about the sins that we commit and repenting of those. The atonement is also there to help us heal from the pain caused by others. I want you to put yourself in her place. I want you to put yourself in her shoes. I genuinely believe that when we realize how badly we hurt other people, there are times when our empathy is so great that this is how we feel. Because we realize how bad what we once thought was funny or innocent truly was. No, it's not going to hurt like this if you're stealing bread to feed your family, which hopefully should never happen. But when you tell a joke and you thought it's just a joke, but it really deeply hurt them. Imagine a drunk driver. You're just driving home. It'll be okay. You get into an accident. You hurt someone. Someone dies. Worse, someone's on life support or disability for the rest of their lives. We think that the selfish things we do are going to be okay. They're not going to hurt anyone until they do. And when they do, that egoism can break us. And that's what Satan wants. Satan wants us to hurt like he's hurting. We have to gather up that Eve inside of us and go before the Lord with that broken heart and contrite spirit and allow the atonement of Jesus Christ to heal us. It will only be as easy as our humility will allow. And it came to pass that after this I did come to her, and the words that were spoken by the Lord between she and me, these thou shalt not write. Know thou that she was comforted by my spirit, not to fall from grace. And this, because she did in every place revere me, and serve the Lord her God from the reverence of her humility. And thus I did call upon her in secret at this time. Now I will tell you that in my vision of this, the words that are written down here are the words that the Lord gave me. But in my vision, I saw God come to her in a special way and hold her and speak to her and fill her with his divine light. And I don't know what they said, but I saw her tears and I saw him share in her pain. And I want you to know, I want to bear my testimony to you this day, that God hurts with us when we hurt, that God loves us and wants to be there for us in our pain if we will let him. God is not this omnipotent thing, this entity that's separate or aside from us. God is a part of us. God didn't need to walk the earth to understand what we go through because as an all-knowing God, he already knew, but he walked it anyway. He suffered it anyway. 
for us because he wants us to see the love that he has for us. And I feel impressed by the Spirit to tell you that I have met people, multiple people, that Jesus has come to in their pain and in their struggles and in their loss. And they've told me how he held them and how he cried with them and how they were healed through his atonement, through his grace. The power is there. We just have to be humble enough to accept it. Know thou that she was comforted by my spirit not to fall from grace. She did not allow this pain to destroy her. And this because she did in every place revere me. She had a personal relationship with God. She never saw God as the enemy, but always as her friend, as her mentor, as her Lord and Savior. And she served the Lord her God from the reverence of her humility, not out of egoism, not to get gain, but because of her love of God and the creation. And thus, God did call upon her in secret at this time. I promise you, brothers and sisters, the Lord desires to come to you in secret as well. He wants all of us to see him. He wants all of us to have that personal relationship. That's what we're working towards here. That's what our ministry is all about. We can't just focus on building up others, but we can focus on building up others as we're building up ourselves. What does that mean? It means that as we become our true selves, as we engage in this altruism, we will come to realize that the works we are doing are not our own and they are not of ourselves. We will grow to a point where we realize that everything we're doing, we're doing for God. We're doing through God. We're doing by the power of God. And we can and we will grow to a point so we'll become so lost in God that we will know exactly who we are and we will know exactly who God is. And at the same time, your will and God's will will be one. Your desires and God's desires will be one. If we can get to that point, then we will have the faith of the brother of Jared and the Lord will not be able to hide from us. We talked quite a bit today about building our own personal relationship, our desires as ministers. Please understand that there will be times when we are called to stand in the Lord's place and we will be the ones comforting Eve in the temple as representatives of Jesus Christ. This is a sacred and holy obligation. This is a blessing and a service to the Lord. When you have this opportunity, this sacred opportunity, always remember that no matter what they're struggling with, you're struggling with it too because you're there. You're, you're the boots on the ground. You're there with them in the fire. You are the minister the Lord called to be there, not just to represent him, but to save this person. It's not a work that you will do alone. It's a work that you will do as moved by the Holy Spirit. Through the grace of Jesus Christ and his great condescensions unto you, you will have the power to do these things. The rituals are important. But we can't just go through the motion. We have to live them. And if we are truly living them, then we will understand that these human connections are our true ministry. Lifting one another up, mourning with those that are mourning, and having joy with those that are full of joy. That is our true ministry. The rituals that we perform merely help us align ourselves with God and prepare ourselves for the most important work loving one another. I hope that this podcast. This prayer of Eve has helped you learn more about your ministry, both in the, the ministry inside yourself, where you're growing in grace, 
getting closer to Christ, and also whatever ministry the Lord has called you to, as we serve the Lord and help one another. We haven't been called to build a church. We've been called to build a kingdom. What's the difference? Churches take care of themselves. The kingdom, Israel, are a people that care for one another. It is my prayer that in your ministry, you will help to build the kingdom of God in whatever way the Lord has called you. My prayers go with you. Until next week, shalom and God bless.